have these uh, two friends, Brian and Paul. Brian and Paul, their dads both owned businesses. They were small businesses, privately owned businesses, but they were pretty successful businesses. And these young men grew up in and around those businesses. They uh, worked some summers at those businesses. I worked a couple of summers at those businesses. And, uh, you know, we'd go with, uh, with them sometimes just to visit. And whenever Paul would walk onto the floor of his dad's business, it was a, was a manufacturing business, um, all the chatter would stop. And everybody would get very engrossed in their work. And Paul would walk around and check on people, and he would... Um, criticize and berate and sometimes even threaten people who are more than twice his age. And, and when Paul was on the floor, boy, everybody knew it. He was the guy in charge, teenager though he was. It couldn't have been more different with Brian. Whenever Brian showed up at his dad's wholesale distribution business, that's when the chatter started Hey, Brian, how are you doing? People would come over and talk to him. And everybody would greet him with a smile. Brian spoke respectfully to the supervisor, well, really to everybody who was there. And if anyone asked him to do anything, hey, Brian, help me lift this box. Or, hey, Brian, there's a mess over there. Can you go get a a broom and sweep it up? Or, Brian, the, the toilets haven't been cleaned in a while. Can you go take care of that? that he would do it cheerfully and without complaint. It's hard to say what goes into all, you know, making people so different. But in Paul and Brian's case, I think that a lot of it had to do with the relationships that they had with their dads. Paul had a very rocky relationship with his dad. And he seemed like he was always trying to prove himself, that he was capable, that he was able, that he was worthy of respect. It just seemed that that Paul was always trying to win his dad's love and respect, and his dad was having none of it. Brian, on the other hand, had a, a great relationship with his dad. His dad was a little gruff. He had a great relationship with his dad. And, and that business was going to be Brian's one day if he wanted it. Brian knew that, and he had nothing to prove. And it seemed to me as I looked at those two situations that it was the security of that love that set Brian free to serve. Well, we come today to John chapter 13, and the public ministry of Jesus is pretty much done. For the next five chapters, John's going to talk about just a a few short hours that Jesus has with his disciples. And I want to read to you today the first five verses of that chapter. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world, to go to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. 
the evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God, and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And Father, as we reflect upon these words today, may the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Lord, you've given to us your word to teach, to rebuke, to correct, to train us, to change us, to transform us. Be pleased to do it today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've probably noticed, if you haven't paid attention to what we've been doing in John's Gospel, if you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or you've read any of these Gospels on your own, probably have noticed that John's Gospel is different from the other Gospels. Um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the synoptic gospels. Maybe you've heard that term before, but you don't know what it means. The word synoptic simply means in the same light. They're presented in the same light. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell a very similar story. They follow a very uh, similar storyline. And there's differences. There wouldn't be three of them if there weren't some differences there. But they, they follow a very similar structure and pattern. But, but John's gospel is very different. John's gospel is written last of all. It's likely that the other gospels, at least some of them were written and there were people who were familiar with them. They certainly knew the story of Jesus, as John writes it. And John's gospel is different in many ways. One of the ways that it's different is that it tells of many personal encounters that Jesus has with uh, people that the other gospels don't mention. The other Gospels speak about the institution of the Lord's Supper, of what we'll observe today. But John's Gospel doesn't. But it tells us some other things that took place uh, at that meal that the other Gospel writers don't tell us. You know, Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, all of them devote less than one chapter each to the hours that Jesus spends with his disciples before his arrest. John, over that same span of time, devotes five chapters to that time. And as we begin to look at this passage here, you need to understand a bedrock conviction of Jesus to understand what you see here. And that bedrock conviction is summed up in two things. It's alluded to in many passages, but it's summed up in two passages. One of them is John chapter 3, verse 35. Jesus says, 
the Father loves the Son and has placed all things in his hands. And the second is John 5.20 that says the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he does. And being secure in the love of his Father enabled Jesus to selflessly serve in the face of suffering. It was just before the Passover feast, and Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. As I mentioned, the people that John's gospel was written to, they already know the story, the gospel story. They know about Jesus' death. They know about his resurrection. They know about his ascension to the Father. But even if someone were just reading this for the first time, they would, they would know that Jesus was going to die, or they would suspect it, because we're told that, uh, that, that Jesus knew that the, the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. And, and the other gospel writers tell us how aware he was that when he went to Jerusalem, this was not going to be a, a painless leaving. You know, just before they entered Jerusalem in Matthew chapter 20, we read, now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and he said to them, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And now the time has come to die. Not merely, though, to die. To be betrayed. To be condemned. To be mocked. To be flogged. And to be crucified. To be stripped of every vestige of dignity and worth. And in the face of that, Jesus shows his disciples the full extent of his love in a humble service. It enabled him to do that. Love for his disciples, certainly. But there's more to it than that. Jesus knew who he was. He knew that he was the son of the father. He knew that the father loves the son. He knew that God put all things into his hand. That he came from God that he was returning to God. 
He was secure in his father's love, and because he was, he was free to serve others. You know, in the 5th century, uh, St. Augustine prayed, Lord, you've made us for ourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. I want to tell you that the longer I live, the the longer I walk with the Lord, the the more I find that to be true, that that my restless heart goes to and fro, here and there, back and forth, seeking some kind of satisfaction, and it's restless because it can't find rest until it rests in God. But we see no restlessness here in Jesus because his heart is at rest in the love of God. And the security of that love made him free to serve. Being secure in God's love enabled him to love and to serve even his enemy. Look at verse 2. The evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, that he was returning to God, so he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You know, something that drew me to Jesus before I knew him, something that holds me to him, is the fact that I I saw from very early on in the Gospels that Jesus never asks of me, requires of me to do something not merely that he's willing to do, but that he himself has done. And so he tells me, love your enemies and pray for those who hate you. That's hard. He says, love your enemies and do good to those who persecute you. Jesus did both of those things. From the cross, he would look down on his tormentors and those who stood mocking him, not with eyes burning with hate, breathing out uh, revenge, but with love, he would pray for them. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And at the table with his betrayer, he took a towel to wash someone's feet was the task of a servant. Open top shoes and dirt and dung covered roads lead to, well, some unpleasantness. Rich person would have a servant who would clean his feet and the feast of uh, the feet of his guests before they entered the house. But among the class of people that Jesus seemed to attract as disciples, they wouldn't have had servants, they would have washed their own feet. And the thought of any of them 
taking on that, that, that servile task and role for others would have been unseemly. But how much more for the one that they called their teacher and their Lord? Paul would write to the church at Philippi that he, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant. He showed to them the full extent of his love by performing for them this servile task. Thomas, and to James, and John, and to Thaddeus, and to Judas. He loved even the one who already in his heart had become his betrayer, his enemy. And he does so with the full knowledge of what Judas is going to do. It won't be very long. We won't get out of chapter 13 before we see the question, well, who is it? Because Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me. This is not someone who betrayed him in the past, but, well, let's let bygones be got bygones, but somebody who is his active enemy now, who's planning to betray him now, and he washes his feet. About that. How can he do that? He can do it, friends, because he's secure in his father's love. And the security of love makes him free to serve. He knows who he is, he knows where he came from, he knows where he's going. He knows the path of suffering that he'll have to take to get there. He knows who his friends are. And he knows who his enemies are. And he loves and he serves them both alike. He's got nothing to prove. The security of his father's love makes him free to serve. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Let me read from verse 12 and following. When Jesus had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. You understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. Tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. 
I don't think that Jesus' point here was, was literally to wash one another's feet. But I think his point was that we're called to love and serve others, even our enemies. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, he said. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you, he said. We are not above him, and he's left for us an example. And it's an example of love and service in the face of suffering and in the light of being terribly wronged. You know, this made such an impact upon the Apostle Peter that in his first letter... He writes, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins and his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. An example that we might follow in his steps. What, what could enable us to do that? It was just before the Passover feast and Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave the world to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed the full extent of his love. And I want to ask you today to look at his great love for you, that he would, that he would die for you. Not, not a quick, painless demise, the slow, torturous, agonizing death of the cross. Who loves you like that? Do you know his love today? Do you understand it? Does it make an impression on you? Can you feel it? Because being secure in that love will set you free to love and to serve even your enemies. John doesn't tell us about the institution of the Lord's Supper. It's the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that do that for us. But John shows us something important that happened at that Passover. It shows us the security that love can produce. You see before you today the broken bread and the wine. I hope that you'll see through those things 
and in them see his battered body and his shed blood given for you. Given in love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And in light of that, you know, Paul asks, if if God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of Christ? And I hope you can see it here today in the bread and in the wine. The love of God. Because being secure in his love will set you free to be able to love and serve others even your enemies and if you know these things my friends blessed are you if you do them our elders come and help distribute the elements of the suffering